Vismaski Classics podcast, Livinio to Levi. Vismaski Classics is the long distance ski championship with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Dear Visma Ski Classics fans, this is our second episode of our podcast series, Libinio to Levia. We have a special guest, Gustav Koskren here from Team Ramudden. And we have just seen La Diagonela, great race in Switzerland, and we will analyze and talk about it. In addition to Gustav, I also have Eric Nielsen here. We just commentated the race. What a race it was. But let's go through that point by point pretty quickly. Let's start with the women's race first. Yeah, it started out as expected and as other years here in La Diagonela. Slow pace and a big group to the first uh, sprint. But then after sprint and reaching the climbs up towards St. Maurice, Atstrid uh, uh, really put the hammer down and skied fast and skied away from the rest of the group. And then she was just pure stronger than the rest of the field today and she was unbeatable in the end. And Gustav, what's kind of your take on the, the women's side of things? I know that you haven't seen the whole race, but you were out there yeah. witnessing it. Uh, it was like Erik uh, explained there with the Astrid, uh, maybe not as expected that I thought maybe they should be like three uh, girls together in Pontesina, but uh, she smashed down the other girls and uh, Kari made a great job uh, to become second and uh, stayed really strong behind some men on the flat down from Pontesina and got rid of Fletenwost, right? Uh, but then behind the girls, it was uh, from yeah the third place on the podium to the tenth. It was changing a lot during the race, and in the end, it was really tight from number three to number ten. So really interesting behind the two cool ten girls. We'll talk about that a little bit yeah. later on. But the men's race started out pretty slowly, as expected. But then, after the first sprint, Paczynski really sped up, sped up and got the points. But after that, it was really a dramatic race. Yeah, and then we realized uh, Petri Eliasson from Team Ragda Edom was skiing with uh, Kickwax. And uh, also really put the hammer down in, in the uphill there together with Martin Ede Pedersen and, uh, and Klaus Nilsson from Team Ingen. They looked strong and they, they skied away from a little bit, but then uh, we had some crashes and, uh, and some drama there. But then coming down to Pontresina, we had uh, Chris Andre Jespersen and Petri Eliasson uh, in the lead group uh, together. And uh, following in that, uh, Chris looked stronger than Petter and skied away and dropped him. And uh, Petter faded. Chris uh, could ski to an unbeatable victory. And uh, that was a really thrilling end for second and third place. Gustav, why do you think Petter chose to go with Kickwax? Kind of curious myself, actually. <laughs> but. Uh, I, I really don't know if it's something for he's just looking at uh, Marcia Longa and wanted to do a, like a whole body workout or something. It's yeah. It Maybe we were speculating uh, with some other team uh, during the track and maybe he didn't find his skis for Magnar, so we took his training skis. <laughs> we don't know. That remains a mystery, but yeah. we have to talk to him about it. Yes, we must. 
So the race really had some drama, lots of it, and crashes as well, and we're going to talk about those. But let's start from the beginning. Now we're going to analyze the whole race from point A to B, C, and so forth, all the way through. Point A being the start. Kind of slow in both in the women's and men's race, really slow, pretty much will be expected. It wasn't that slow in the men's, I think. I mean, they were on one line and uh, they were pushing quite hard. I don't know who it was, but... Um, but lots of people there, like 50... It was a lot of people, but there was a lot of people who didn't hang in there also. So I think the pace was uh, pretty high, more higher than I thought it was. But um, in the women's, of course, the, the pace was slow to the sprint. Yeah, we had uh, Dvoskin and uh, Viktor Mempe skiing quite hard uh, in the front there. And I think they had an advantage by skiing. We had some new snow coming and they were skiing behind the girls. So I think they had a little bit of fresher tracks or better tracks. Uh, so the space was fairly high uh, to the first sprint, uh, but still all the favors were still there. We didn't see any crashes, no broken poles. We talked about it during the broadcast. It's a wide track in the beginning. It's no really danger in, in, uh, in damage your equipment. And then the first sprint. That, of course, we had a little bit of action there because Paczynski was not out of the blue because that's what he did in Livigno, and he is a sprinter. And that he's done that before, that he just kind of goes for the first sprint and then kind of drops out. But he was, he was clearly faster than the rest of the field, and he won that pretty easy, uh, I would say. And uh, yeah, he took those sprint points and uh, really increased the pace. And the women signed anything? Um, yeah, I was um, a little surprised of Ida in our team that he that she did that really good sprint. And she, I think she was second. Just yeah, yeah, we say that she was second, not third. Uh, uh, so day three, it was Astrid, Britta, Ida, and Astrid who. Make, made a move for the sprint. But I also want to say for the men's race that I thought I was there and I thought that Stia Bols, Stia Mberi and um, Max Novak just did what they had to do to make some points. I don't know if they both had in thought in mind that they would make a move later and yeah, for the sprint in St. Moritz and uh, in the Samaiden uh, sprint. So they didn't look that they made full gas. No, we look. We talked a little bit about that. There's always the balance between finding how much energy should you spend on the first sprint, where someone like Pashinsky can just go all out because that's all he has to do during that race. But athletes like Oscar Cardin, Max Novak, uh, Ida Dahl as well, they still have a good finish result as well to go for. Mm. And uh, it could be smart for them to not go full gas like Cardin and Max didn't look like they were doing and just have more energy from them. Is that why you said you were surprised by Ida's sprinting points? Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm surprised. I thought maybe she would stay just behind them or not to go full gas. You know, she was stretching her legs also. So, But uh, it's fun to see and it's very important for this youngster to, to do this. Now you see on the, on the screen that she was second uh, to do these sprints because uh, it's, um, they need to, to learn to take this uh, uh, high speed uh, during the races and then uh, come back to normal speed. So it's important that they, they are of offensive. So. Kind of same with the breakaway attempts, you know, to be offensive yep. and uh, try that. You know, lots of young skiers, kind of unknown skiers, do that quite often. 
yeah, I heard too often that um, you should stay behind, save energy uh, for the end, and blah 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 blah. But uh, of course, that's <laughs> what you should do to make a result. But you need to get experience, and you should not be afraid to do things. Then it's uh, you need that. Let's continue that a little bit because you are a team director. You have a really good team, Team Ramud, and you guys have been doing amazingly well. But what kind of tactics did you guys talk about? And, and you have young skiers. You mm. just mentioned Edan, Max, and, and a really good team. What did you kind of guys talk about before the race? Because you were surprised that Ida <laughs> took those points. Yeah, for the sprint, uh, of course, but uh, still I, I want them to go for these points. Um, but <clears throat> the tactics for this race, you know, all three, we just have three on start, Johannes, Max and Ida. Uh, and they are the first time in Diagonella. Uh, and the, the real tactics was more than talk about the race, you know, you see on the... And the, the curve of the race is kind of flat, but I mean, this is a really hard race, high altitude, uh, dry snow, uh, now it was new snow, and this last um, 10 kilometers, it's the 10, last 10 kilometers of death. Uh, it's a really hard race, and uh, they, the tactics was that they, want, they needed to know that, that they should save, uh, as much as they can, but still be offensive and know that the last 10 kilometers, they they need to be prepared for that. So we're more like giving them information, being kind of motivator, yeah. letting them know what, the what they're up against. Uh, everything like that, and look at the race before. And, uh, and of course, uh, talk about what uh, used to happen here. They, yeah, it uh, all slow pace to the first sprint, then uh, space starts increasing over the bridge and then the uphill. And the men are passing the ladies, what happens there? And Ida, the only lady, uh, you need know, to talk about, uh, talk to her that she needs to stay in the track, not to, she's still there to compete. The ladies, when the men are passing, don't be afraid when they are screaming, uh, you know, things like that. And uh, then it's really important to, for all the, both the men and the ladies to be in a group when they come down from Pontesina, when they go into the flat. If they are behind the group, they, if they can catch them, catch them, and if they don't, wait for the next group. So let's speak about your team. Uh, you mentioned that Ida was the only one because your wife, Lena, of course, yep. is sick, and so was uh, Jenny, yep. Jenny Larson. unfortunate. Yep. What can happen after Kaiser? Uh, they get a little bit sick, not that much, uh, uh, no sore throat, just a, a little thing in the nose, but both uh, Lina and Jenny, uh, the most important is to be healthy and be on the start line and do as best that they can and not take any chances. And um, for Lina, it's she really wants to do well in Marcia Longa, so she doesn't take any chances. But still, it's for both. So as I see, it's for both Jan and Lina. It's 50-50 for Marcia Longa. Of course, they will be healthy, but um, uh, after Marcia Longa, it's not far away from Vasilopet also, so you can't risk anything. Are they in a recovery path right now? Yeah, they're they recovering are. well. 
Yes, I see no problem that they will be training in the beginning of the week, next week, so. How did you actually find these young, young skiers? Lena, your wife's been around. She's a Masalopet winner. She's a strong skier. But these amazingly good young skiers that you have in your team. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, we, how we find them, you know, we have like a, uh, should you call it like a black book at home? <laughs> where we, oh, you have a black yeah, book? <laughs> not a black book. Uh, you think of something else maybe. But <coughs> there is. You pay attention to some skiers once in a while, and then you can follow. You're scouting a little bit. Scouting, and it's really fun actually. And then, of course, it's uh, next step. You know, we have a good list of skiers that should do well here in the ski classics in this year. <laughs> in a couple of years, we have talent uh, who, who we want to give the chance, but uh, still, it's um, up to them to. To the last thing, when you when you're talking to a young athlete, like you, you need to listen to what they say. If you if they have the motivation, if they really have the motivation to do this, that's uh, that's the main key. And this, the Jenny, Max, Johannes, Ida, uh, from last year we had Ulle and Johan also, but they have the motivation, and that's the most important thing. You can't come here and just think that uh, this is the same thing like the traditional skiing, and then it will be really hard for you. So when you say motivation, you mean really towards this particular <laughs> Yeah, dedicate skiing. yourself to, uh, to do these races and uh, like it and uh, yeah, enjoy it also, to have fun and uh, yeah. What qualities do these individuals have, if you go one by one very briefly, the young ones? The young ones... Um, Jenny is really strong. She's uh, quite high, uh, and she's fast. Uh, and fast is good in long distance, <laughs> in somehow. Uh, Ida is like a Duracell rabbit, if you know what I mean. Uh, she never stops. Like today, it's like always. She just goes spinning and just do 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 do. She has a killer head. Um, Max, uh, yeah, he's also definitely a killer head, and he's really, really, really fast uh, and extremely motivated to be, be the next champion in Wisma Ski Classics. Um, and Johannes, he's a real outsider, uh, but uh, <coughs> he's really interesting. You know, he doesn't fit in the and uh, this uh, tall guy with uh, long poles and a lot of power, he's really short, uh, but he is really strong and he has uh, really good capacity. And that's uh, interesting with him. So when you get your team together and you started in training, you had your summer camps and stuff, did you pretty quickly realize that, wow, now I pretty have my dream team in, in place? Uh, the dream team is... Uh, more about you know having fun together and enjoying life on the tour. So uh, it's more about that for me with the, with the dream team. Life on the tour—that's kind of like touring artists. They always say, "Oh, it's so tough to be on a, on on a road on touring." But it's kind of the same with our you know 
pro team athletes as well. We're constantly on the road. Every weekend there's a race, pretty much. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough, tough life, in a sense. It could be a good life, but then again, tough life. Particularly older you get, you have families and so forth. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of skiers, athletes, who have uh, kids at home and uh, wife at home or uh, your man at home. And it's a tough life um, for them to compare, uh, combine it with the professional skiing, of course. But <coughs> we're in a good situation with my wife and me who is traveling and we have like a holiday. Uh, holiday and competing, working, <laughs> slash everything. So we really enjoy this and really like to be on the tour and do this uh, Alp tour now with six weeks off. I'm not working and just doing this and yeah, really enjoy it. And it's really good to have these youngsters also with us to to uh, get their motivation and spirit for this. It's uh, enjoying our filling up our lives also me and lena so i i, I can't complain it's a dream <laughs> life yeah it's a dream life so um yeah indeed it is but let's go back to the race eric so after the sprint then the hill the, the only not the only but the longest climb and we expected something to happen and that indeed happened <laughs> you know lots of drama there yeah first we had uh, Astrid Iris Lind who started to put the hammer down and uh, pretty early we could see that she got a, a small gap and then it grew fast during the second part um, of the hill and uh, no one could really uh, catch her from uh, behind either so she pretty much just skied away and we could see that she was skiing fast also because the guys didn't catch her that fast. We, we thought that she was going to be catch early. We were thinking maybe she, they would catch her just on the top, but she skied for quite a long before she got a draft from the guys. So she was really, really strong uh, in that uphill. And um, in the same place, we saw Petri Eliasen in the men's race uh, start skiing hard together with uh, Morten Eide Pedersen and uh, doing some damage there. They also had a gap together, I think it was Klaus Nilsson uh, at the top. And uh, that really set uh, the mood for the rest uh, of the race and, uh, and uh, changed uh, the theme. And that was when we really <laughs> realized and noticed that Petr Eliasen is actually going in a diagonal and striding. You spotted that earlier, but I couldn't believe that. That is really because he's a strong double puller. He doesn't have to do that, but still, that kind of remains the mystery. But that changed a bit because he attacked there because that was his tactic there. Yeah, it was it was very clear that it was his, his tactics, and as we're discussing, why why did he do this? And we don't really know, but um, could be that the forecast said uh, no more snow, um, and then it started to snow maybe further up the valley, and they got the news of this that it potentially could be more snowing, and who knows up here if it starts snowing, you can get a lot of snow, and then it can be an advantage to have kickbacks. But I I don't know. That's trying to find a solution or an answer. And also he's recovering from, from an illness, a sickness, uh, so that we could actually see that happening. He can kind of ran out of energy and power towards the end. So he will be definitely really strong come, come much longer. Gustav, we touched upon it a little bit and <laughs> you're still kind of, kind of, you know, uh, uh, as we are, you know, it's kind of surprised by his, his choice, but was it kind of what expected in a men's race that, you know, that's, that's where the attack, you know, Petr will do it and Martin and those guys will follow? Anything special there? No, I thought it would be a hard pace for this um, sprint in <coughs> St. Moritz. 
but then it will be come together again, and then in the last 15, 10 kilometers, the killer, 15, 15 kilometers, then uh, it will be uh, set a hard pace. And there, from I thought maybe Petter will do some things, but uh, no, he used the kick racks and made it much earlier, and that was uh, really surprising, but really interesting, and in the end, maybe really good for Chris also. It's a long climb, but of course we have many long climbs in, in our pro tour. Reisteloep is really a tough course, but how would you rank that particular climb? There are some steep parts there as well, herringboning. Yeah, it's steep parts, but uh, you know, that's when it doesn't make that kind of difference when it's steep. It's better when it's like this, it's more uh, good flat uphill, then it makes um, more distance. And you have also, you know, it's uh, after you come down to Pontesina, you go up the valley two and a half kilometers. It's easy on the map, but you still you have to do two and a half kilometers, like uphill a little bit, and it makes differences uh, much more than just a steep uphill, like in uh, Reistalöpet or in uh, Seefeld as well. And at one point, it seems that Mordenade Pedersen, when he was in the lead and there was a herringboning section, he went really slow. It was like 4K mm. an hour uh, and then sped up. So that was probably a t bit of a tactical move as well because they got the gap right away. Mm. So when you have a long line and you have herringboning in steep parts, you can have a bit of a tactical play there as well. Correct? Yeah, um, that's a good tactic to, to use when it's uh, narrow and steep. And then after that, Long climb, of course, the downhill, and those crashes. Yeah. Let's talk about those. Yeah. Unfortunately. It was your team, you know, team yeah. member there, Max Novak. Yeah, uh, I just heard it, but I've seen it on the screen afterwards, and I heard Max talk about it. And um, yeah, unfortunately, of course, he didn't want to smash Katrina. Uh, he was going for the sprint, and uh, it became really tight. Um, and uh, yeah. It was unfortunate for Katrina, it was unfortunate for uh, uh, Max Novak and also for Morten Eide. Uh, and lucky for Chris, right? Or? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, Max is speaking Czech and uh, he has been talking to Katrina and uh, apologized and uh, it's no hard feelings between them. Uh, it's kind of what happens. And for those of you who are listening to this, if you haven't seen the broadcast, uh, so that what happened there was there's a long downhill and the men were passing the le uh, leading women and Katarina Smutna was in front of Max and Max was passing her. Somehow his ski got stuck with, uh, with uh, uh, Katarina's and then they both fell and then Mornady Pedersen crashed with them. And as you said, uh, Chris Andre was able to, to, to pass them and, and continue. Mm. And Katarina also broke her pole there yep. and got a replacement one later on. Yep. Yeah, unfortunate, well, things yeah, like that happen. Yeah, it was a little bit misunfortunate because Katarina just thought he made a small snow plow into that the tight corner, corner and that means she angles out her ski as well and Max ski just caught behind that and uh, yeah, and it got stuck together. So yeah, it was just bad luck as I, as I see it. Yeah, really bad luck. Yeah. Uh, but it was good that uh, Katarina came back and made the third place. Yeah. So that's good to see. Yeah. And both uh, Max and uh, Martinator yep. were also able to, to catch up, you know. But of course, they lost a little bit of a maybe stamina there as well. And that was kind of the time when Chris and, and, and Peter then did the breakaway and, and got away. 
Yeah, because Chris, after that, Chris really went for the sprint in, in St. Moritz there, and, and that sprint is a little bit of uphill, mm. and he kind of got a little bit of gap there, and Petter was kind of with him. So mm. those two all of a sudden just uh, got a gap, and uh, then Petter kept on pushing again because it was uphill, and that's how those two got, got that gap. Yeah. And uh, the rest is... The rest is history of the race. The other guy didn't see Chris anymore, but but uh, worth mentioning there is that also Chris looked really strong. They had a really good teamwork. We saw Petter was pushing in the uphill, and as soon as it was on downhill, then Chris was up pushing. So they had a really good teamwork between those two all the way uh, to Pontresina, or coming back down to Pontresina. Uh, and we saw they stretched that gap to the chasing group uh, quite a lot. And then they reached uh, St. Moritz, the famous place. Uh, the course was a little bit shorter this time around as we had to, they had to cut the, the lake. The, the lake in St. Moritz wasn't really f frozen, so not that much of a difference, but still a little bit, I mean. Yeah, you get the, the, the second uh, uphill quite fast after the first uphill, but uh, also it was shorter. So... Um, you know, the, when you do the loop down in St. Moritz Lake and then lake and then up again, it's really hard to do that uh, uphill. And it uh, often is really dry, <coughs> dry snow there also. So it's, um, I must say, it's a bit easier, but still. No, we don't talk about easy, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's harder. easy. <laughs> harder. Yeah. And there was an additional sprint. You mentioned that earlier, Gustav. Mm. You know this, this uh, the one uh, set by the organizers. Yep. Uh, that was kind of interesting to have a sprint uh, in the middle. Do you think that that should be kind of the case? Get more of these kind of special sprints that are not ours, and they're only rewarded the, the, the winners of those. I think um, anytime there's a sprint in a race, that kind of adds a possibility for a counterattack or something to happen is an acceleration of the pace, and it adds something to to the race. So I think it's good and interesting and it uh, brings opportunities for for the athletes yeah and the athletes um, must think they must use tactic and uh, not just to go full gas or just stay behind they, they have to really take these sprints in uh, in the at, in their mind to see what's happened and what they can do yeah and also find that balance as we talked about before that going full gas and a sprint can really damage the rest of your race as well. So you need to play your cards right. Should I go for this sprint or not? Or should I keep back? Or should I get a little bit of points? Or should I go for all the points or, or something? So, or the prize money in this case. So I think it's a good add to the race. It's interesting. We're kind of touching upon the tactical side of things and we talked about that a little bit, but we always kind of through parallels with cycling world. Mm -hmm where the tactics and strategies play a huge role. But it seems to me that it's becoming a bigger thing in, in, in our sport as well. How much do you guys like, like talk about that? And, and, and how much do you see that the kind of the team play tactics, all these things that we've been talking about are changing the nature of our sport? Yeah, uh, the team tactic is not that much um, but it's definitely more and more of the individual tactics uh, because <clears throat> yeah more and more happens of course and uh, they are getting more and more people who are better and better they are similar capacity so they to win races they have to use their head also not to just go full gas then you don't 
you don't win. Yeah, Chris won today, of course, with full gas, but you know he used his tactics, of course, to get on free. But then in from second place and, and down, you saw a lot of things happening the last 10 kilometers. And saving energy, not saving energy, taking the right backs. Um, yeah, it's... Um, it's really similar to cycling because of them. Uh, when you go behind, it's easier. You know, getting fa going faster and faster in cross-country skiing, and uh, it's, uh, the drafting effect. The drafting yeah. is uh, really important. So then, uh, the faster you get, more tactics you must use. As you made the correlation to cycling. Uh, in cycling world, they always kind of have the, the star, you know, rider, <laughs> so to speak, uh, the, the star of the team, and everybody else is kind of supporting. Do you think that that's the way it could go in our sport as well, or it should even go that way? Uh, that we have like teams have like one one big star, and everybody's helping him or her out. More and more people will, will get better and better, and it will be uh, harder and harder to win races, and. Um you know, and you see the 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 bunch, the peloton. Now it's uh, it's a lot of good people, and uh, there will be more helping a team captain in uh, next coming years. I, I really think so. And we also see a lot more athletes with designated roles yeah. in their teams. It could be that you should go for the sprint points, you should go for the climb points this year, or you should go for the youth bib, or, or you, could, you should be a help rider if there's a breakout or, or something. So it's been a huge development during these 10 years of, of Ismuski Classics that we didn't see in the beginning. And of course, to run a team, it's more than just coming up with tactics and, and uh, cooking up with all kinds of plans. It's a lot to work. Let's talk about that a little bit. What goes on in your life when, you, when you're running a team? What kind of work? What do you do negotiating with the sponsors, you know, particularly off-season? Uh, well, we have a really good um, sponsorship and uh, cooperation with Ramudden and uh, together with them and uh, uh, their... <coughs> uh, uh, passion for health with their employees so they really take care of and uh, integrate us in that work uh, so we have some uh, days during the season off season that we make uh, training sessions or just talk to people and yeah coming up with things together so that's uh, really really good and it's good for the athlete also to do something else and uh, meet other people <coughs> and i'm not that involved in in that work but uh, i'm more for just you know booking hotels uh, flights making the logistics and um, uh, yeah it's a, a lot of lo logistics work but uh, you know it's not that much work during the off season more uh, more work with just putting the team together to make everyone enjoy the group and uh, feeling comfortable together and being prepared for the season um, and feel yeah safe and that it's it will be fun how did you find Rama? did 
you guys approach them, Ramudden, or they approach you? It's an interesting company creating sort of safety protocols and safety tools, you know, for constructions and roadworks and stuff like that. Correct? Uh, yes. Um, it's kind of yeah. It was after the. Actually, when Lena and uh, me started the team three years ago, uh, we started with the Åre Längdskid Club. We had a, a th three-year plan that uh, we should take it step by step. And the, sec the first year was just to yeah, get around and uh, me and her and doing, doing this. And uh, uh, the second year, we hopefully would get some more athletes to join us and, of course, get some more money so we can do it also, make it. And uh, for the second year, we Lina met uh, Ramudden and uh, really clicked. And uh, uh, of course, her Vasaloppet win with the Åre Lengfjord Club was really important for that and uh, for everything, for the motivation and for sponsorships and everything. It was uh, uh, extremely, extremely good. And then, you know, and this is the third year so the first uh, and the first plan that we we made in the order language club actually we we kind of made it so it's really fun so it will be of course a fourth year <laughs> we'll see what happens next year it's interesting amazing journey yeah. and it seems like a match made in heaven with yeah. this company you mentioned lina's victory uh Vasalopet. Did she become a better skier after that particular one? You, you mentioned that she became kind of more relaxed. And yeah, she's uh, she's been more relaxed, and you know she had a really good year last year, uh, skiing really well. <clears throat> uh, she was not that far far off uh, winning again. I think I mean she was second, of course, but. She, it's not far away. You can talk about distance between the ladies' skiers, but it's a lot of things happen. So, uh, but uh, uh, this year, I think that she is really on a new level. So um, hopefully, if she will stay healthy or stay become healthy and show it again that the Seafelt was not just. A, one day wonder, or how to say. And uh, we also got some questions to you, Gustav, from our followers on social media, uh, writing to us. And uh, the first one is, uh, Team Rod Ramudden has really succeeded in finding and connecting young talents to the team. Is it a strategy, states the strategy you have to invest in young talents? Yes, it's been an, uh, <coughs> our strategy because that um, was also when we started this in order length club two years ago, three years ago, that uh, <coughs> we need to have more young skiers in the Visma Ski Classics uh, or get the op give them the opportunity to ski Ski Classics. Uh, and. Uh, yeah, that's what we do. We want to, of course, it's really fun to have, you know, Johan is not a youth, but uh, he's a really great guy and he was starting with the cross-country ski real late. So in his uh, journey, he's kind of a youth. So uh, uh, 
we really want to give the opportunity and also of course like i said before when you talk to these young skiers you have to listen to do they have the motivation and if they have the motivation they can go so how far uh, as they can um i also want to say that um it's been for a couple of years now this is the 10th Ski classics uh, and <clears throat> that you have the we are recruiting from tradi traditional skiing more or less um, but we have now youngsters who is uh, like 13 14 15 years old you know Max Ida Jenny they were juniors like only a few years ago, so they have been juniors looking at ski classics. Uh, there will come youth athletes soon who will double pull extremely fast, I think. And uh, just to be on top on the toe and give them the opportunity, I'm assuming we will see maybe the main part, youth skiers who will ski fastest. Yeah. And the skiers journey will change, as you mentioned, there will be a new generation yep. looking at our tour. Hey, that's what I want to yep. aim at, not the kind of the usual route, which is kind of try the standard distances, then maybe you know, try your wings and, and long distance skiing. I think that's been more and more clear as you say the last two years maybe or three years that there are actually young skiers looking directly at ski classics and not not trying traditional skiing or, yeah, before that. Yeah, so we have to give them the opportunity when they go to Ski Gymnasium and stuff like that when they are juniors to if they want to go a long distance they have to be welcome for that yeah so gustav you have a skiing background as well you're not a young skier anymore but you used to be a skier <laughs> tell us about yourself who is gustav yeah i've been a cross-country skier on a pretty high level but um and i was competing for uh, 30 so when i was until I was 30 years old, so I got a lot of experience from, yeah, to be an athlete, what it means. So um, that's really important in my work as a team director now to hopefully to understand these youngsters in what situation they are in, to help them, to guide them. So. Um, yeah. <laughs> so when did your you know fascination towards long distance skiing kind of come about? Always. When and how? Ah, it's always been there, and I've seen the future for this uh, kind of races for a long time, even in the early career that I have. But um, um, then it wasn't like this tour. This, um, you know, <clears throat> what I think is really interesting with these races is the, more or less the history and the, the drama with the environment around it, the races, and it's the same races every year. You gotta, it's really prestigious to, to go these races, to win these races, and just to uh, participate. And uh, also, of course, the joy you see in the, yeah, we're looking out the window now to the, the amateur skiers who, will, who come to the finish and are really happy. So that gives energy also to the, to the professional skiing, I think. In your own mind, what is your greatest achievement as a skier? Oh, I hate that question. <laughs> it's always tough to evaluate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
You can always say being the skiing reporter at <laughs> Vasaloppet. Ah, that was terrible. <laughs> that was really terrible. <laughs> well, tell, well, well, I, I want to hear more about it. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was like two years, three years after I have uh, retired. I got the phone call if I was doing this um, uh, skiing reporter on the Vasaloppet, uh, and I was like, yeah. Uh, I give it a try. And then you started at the start As, line. Oh, no, you, start, you started, started at, at the top. top. You started at top. Yeah. But that year, okay, I was not in the best shape, but I was still in good shape. I've been doing some competition. I was thinking this is, I have done Vaslop like eight times or something. I know which shape I should be just to go to Everts Bay with the bunch. Uh, so I started at the top also. And we come to the top, I jump into the, the main group, and it was uh, Matthias Fredriksson, uh, Thomas Alsgård, and s a couple of other guys who had uh, split the group already on the top. Uh, and often happens, of course, but then it comes together. Um, but uh, I was with the guys, and, <coughs> and Matthias was asking Thomas, uh, we, have a, we have a gap, let's go for it. I don't know if it was some prestige prestige or something from Thomas and he was okay if you want to go we go <laughs> and it was like full gas uh, I don't know Thomas he was finished in Riesberg and Matthias he was finished our opposite maybe earlier they they were not in the top when they reached Eversberg and I was definitely not in the top <laughs> when I was reaching Eversberg so I gave one comment uh, <laughs> and that was like this is going Hell fast. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm off. <laughs> so what is I was the worst um, <laughs> uh, reporter on Vasaloppet ever, I think. But you must have a better experience from, from Vasaloppet as well. What's your best result? Uh, 24th. That's a good one. Yeah, it was a good one. I was. That was actually the first time I did it. I didn't know anything, and it was a really great job I did. And, and yeah, it was... Then I was around that place uh, many times, but I I felt like I never got the full uh, capacity out in Vasaloppet. It was a little bit too long. Two-hour races was uh, really great for me, but uh, when it made it three, three and a half, four hours, it's... It's hard. a different kind of race. Yeah, something happens after two and a half hours. Eric, what's your best result? In Vasa, but I only done it uh, once, and I think I was like 1700 or 1600 or something like this. <laughs> okay. well, that was like 10 years after quitting my own career, so still. That's a good one, though. Mine is 44th. So, yeah. good. We have another uh, question. We have another question here from uh, Roberto Vacchi asking us uh, what you, Gustav, thinks, think we should do that with the fact that uh, women almost gets to start uh, gets to ski together with the guys uh, is that a, or is that a problem and is that a problem mm, it's a complex uh, thing because it's um, I think it's really good actually that the ladies are starting with the men Vasaloppet uh, as long as they have this extra, uh, I think they should have like one or two extra tracks up the first hill for just only ladies. But they have the, the, the with this with the poles and everything. So they have a, it gives a, 
it becomes another sort of race, Vasilope, when they're starting with the men. Uh, when they start um, before the men, like often uh, 15 minutes, uh, it becomes that more and more the, the ladies are not uh, using tactics more than they're just waiting for the men and then it's are exploding and then go full gas. So that doesn't have to, they can't tra train to use tactics that much. Um, How should it be then? I mean, I understand your point. I'm just, we're giving it yeah. to get a little bit spotlight, you know, for the women, which is a yeah. good thing. But you're right, I mean, tactic-wise. Yeah, uh, but it, it will become more and more ladies. We see, see it now. It's almost like the feeling that I got it's double up from last year. Uh, and it will be harder and harder for the men to pass the ladies through the races also now. Uh, so, you know, take 20 more women, it's not impossible in two years. It will be a bunch that will, they will pass and then we have a problem. So I, <coughs> I have given a suggestion that maybe some races will try to have the ladies start like one and two or two minutes behind the men. And then the amateur ski is two or five minutes behind the ladies. Uh, then uh, we will not. Then we will have a men race, and we will have a women's race, and we'll have an amateur race. Uh, of course, it's um, always issues with the television productions and things like that. But uh, um, I think it would be the, the women are skiing faster. Also, they're faster and faster, so they're not that far behind the men. So. Um, yeah, it would be interesting if we could try that maybe next year in one or two races, see what happens. Or, yeah, you know, maybe, I don't know if you have some suggestions to, to that. Good point. That's an interesting idea, mm. of course. And you're right. I mean, we always have to kind of consider and, and, and reevaluate uh, things, things. And you're right, women are getting really fast. I mean, we talked about this, Eric and I, during the, the broadcast. Astrid's really great performance. And uh, La Venosta, she would have been in the top 50. And mm. Britta's been, uh, Britta and uh, uh, Kovalcic. They were like really top skiers in Vasalope, top 80. Uh, so that's, that's really fast skiing you know, you know, from, from the women. And we also saw today that Astrid was skiing with the chasing group mm. uh, for a very long time. They were just... Um, yeah, the same with Lina last weekend also. She stayed with the men for quite a while and didn't lose that much up last time, Wildmus. And you see things like that, like that happening all the time. And with Britta, Astrid, Lina, Smutna, yeah. Kari. And That's also interesting, though, that we're looking at the, the drafting possibilities in a race. Uh, we looked back at the split times uh, today, and we can actually see that Britta who was far behind in the end, but she actually skied 13 seconds mm. faster than Astrid mm. from passing Suots on the way now. So this last 10 kilometers, she was 13 seconds faster than Astrid. Yeah, I noticed that during the race that um, Britta did a really good last 10 kilometers and also Ida was doing a great 10 kilometers and they were not far behind from the podium in the end. So, uh, really good, uh, you know, you have to be really mentally strong, uh, like Britta, to, she was down to like 10th place or something in Pontresina, I don't know. Yes, uh, she was far back. Yeah, it was quite a lot of minutes and then to speed up and to finish fourth in the, in the end, that's really important for her 
in in the champ competition towards Astrid. So we continue with the race, but one thing from your history I want to go <laughs> back to: your father. Your father. He was kind of, he's a famous person, correct? He was uh, the Nordic Combined coach. Yeah, I correct? don't know if he was that famous. I don't live in Sweden, but I th yeah. he was a coach, you know. Yeah, he's big guy. Yeah, for. Um, for a couple of years, I don't know, I think it was like the last time Sweden had some Nordic combined Swedish team who was competing in in a World Cup. Uh, he was the cross-country ski trainer, then they had a, a, a trainer for the ski jumping also, of course. Uh, but uh, And you traveled with your father, correct? To many places? I was really small guy than me and my brother but we we were hanging out at some camps and and uh, try to hang on to these uh, ski jumpers to try to cross country ski any favorite places you know might have, must have been uh, different we, from our places yeah, yeah but we were never in the uh, at the competitions more than fallen <laughs> to visit we were more on yeah, the camps in Ramenberget and Örnsköldsvik uh, uh, and uh, stuff like that yeah I'm from here then. It's one of the only ski jumping hills in Sweden, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Good, interesting history you have. So for all of you out there, if you have questions or anything you want to know, we are here to answer your questions and you can send us your questions, requests, things like that. And the address is podcast at skiclassics.com. Moving on, the race. Now we passed San Moritz. Uphill, downhill, another uphill after San Moritz, the, the sprint point. Anything before Pontresina? Business as usual, I guess. I see that uh, Chris Andrea, Jasper Chen, and Petr Eliasen was working really good together in stretching that gap. They really took advantage of each other's strength and uh, they skied fast uh, to Pontresina. But Astrid was by herself. It looked like she was waiting for to find a good guy to follow, so to speak. Yeah, when she was coming down to Pontresina and before this uh, loop <coughs> up in the valley in Pontresina, she was not that, she had a gap like one minute or something, but uh, she tried to hang on to the guys and really pretty much made that. And now when they came back to Pontresina, I think it was like two, two, two and a half minutes. So that was a really important part for her. And when Petr Eliasen and Christian de Jespersen, when they were in the breakaway, we already detected a little bit of, in, in terms of Petr Eliasen, a little bit of weakness, but he wasn't at his best, and, 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 and Chris Andre looked really strong. Yeah, we could see that pretty early, that it almost looked like uh, Chris was waiting for Petr a couple of times to not uh, ski alone. So Chris looked super strong, and we can see that Petr was starting to, to fade. Could have been the... Uh the skis as well, because it was a little difficult to say if he had better skis, I mean, Chris Andre. Could have been the skis a little bit, but also the fact that Peter lost so much in the end. I think he got uh, tired with the fact that he was sick last uh, weekend. Coming back to racing and doing a 65-kilometer race, that's, that's pretty tough on you. From your prof prof professional perspective, was it a good move from Peter? Uh, to try a breakaway, knowing that he's been sick. You know, he he's a he's a breaker. <laughs> he goes when he goes. He has a, just his personality, and it, 
if he wants to do that, he should do that. That's that's how he is. So doesn't matter where, just let him loose. It's fun to see. I enjoy it. It must have been a good experience for him as well. Kind of wouldn't say the humble him because he's a humble person, anyways. But to kind of realize that hey, even as I said earlier, even heroes can fall sometimes. Yeah, I saw it in, in his face when coming down to Pontesina that it was kind of hard. It's like in, say, in Sweden, bus to mean uh, to stay behind Chris. And uh, like you said, Chris was really strong, and uh, it was really f fun to see him. And finally, he made that victory. Now we haven't come to that yet, but. Um, and at the same time, in the chasing group, there was no chasing. Exactly. Uh, Good point. They were not that far behind uh, in when they come down to, yeah, above Pontesina. But then when they came down to Pontesina after this valley loop, then they really made that gap. What do you think was the, the feeling there in the group? We, of course, uh, we knew that no one from Kuteng will go up in the mm. chasing group, no one from Team Ragdi will go up. So we were kind of, first we were discussing that maybe Lager 157, maybe Romud mm. as well should go up there and try to close the gap. But then we started talking a little bit that maybe they were just going for the third place and because it was a podium place left to grab. Uh, I, I know that Max was really, uh, he, he wanted to chase, but um, it's hard to get work done in just two tracks, and uh, maybe not everyone was that motivated, waiting for what will happen. And Café Burgeriet, I thought maybe we should work more, but maybe they had was a little bit sore today, so no. Yeah, what happened with those guys? I mean, Morten, of course, crashed, but Vetlev wasn't at his best. No, I was thinking maybe they would make a really good race today, but uh, no. I think it's hard for, for Morten in, in a race like this when he first being really active and aggressive, mm. he gets a breakout together with Petter and, and Klaas, and then he crash. Yeah. It's, it's hard mentally to recharge from that to go back. So go back to beast mode and chase mode after that. Through a race, you don't have that much many opportunities to do things. And uh, when you do a thing, when you do a breakaway, um, you don't do that twice. Exactly. It's rare, very rare that you do that. If you, when you make the move, you have one chance. Yeah. Then you go. And if it doesn't work, oh, shit. Yeah. We talk about the conditions a little bit uh, as well, but selecting skis for this particular conditions because it was so different. It's sunny uh, again after the race and uh, it was sunny yesterday, pretty clear. I mean, it shouldn't have been, been difficult, but it changed this morning. Was it difficult for your team? Yeah. Any last minute sort of changes? Yeah, it was a lot of testing this morning, but uh, in the end we stuck to what we have uh, tested before. Uh, but it was really complex with this um, yeah, temperature changing and snow, and the snow was uh, not that dry and really different conditions through the track. But um, yeah, a lot of testing, and I still wanted to test more, but I didn't have the time. Uh, but we, yeah, we had good skis, so. And uh, uh, but it's really interesting when it's changing this much overnight.
How much ski testing do you guys do in between the races when you go? Do you have constant like a pack of skis and you go and test and test, or you have test skiers? Or mm, no, it's in our team. It's just me and another guy, Linus, who is doing the testing and waxing, and then we're using, of course, the athletes with some testing. But uh, you know, this week has been quite a lot of testing in dry conditions, starting on. I think it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, of course, last uh, on Friday and this morning. So there's been much testing, but it's also for the future and to to have these conditions. Uh, I would say in almost extreme conditions, uh, <coughs> dry snow and high altitude, to really test grinding skis and powders, etc. It's it's good to do that. Who has the ultimate say when selecting the, the race skis? Ah, it's me. They don't test anything. They just get the skis when they are in the starting line. They tr they're putting their faith in you. Yeah, they, they count on you. Yeah, <laughs> but they choose the skis, the ski or the skis that they want to have to the race. But um, it's not every race that they get to test their skis before the race. They trust in us in the management and it's a comfort for them too because they know that you will go and select the skis they can focus on just warming up and getting yeah ready. yeah i think so so i hope so um, it's uh, working really well so then okay good very good uh, selecting skis is always a difficult this is a winter sport uh, after the uh, pontresina then suddenly chris andreas percent sped up left uh, Peter and eating his dust and Peter got tired and uh, a lot of things happened. Yeah, was, as we could see there in, in passing Pontresina, Peter started to get tired and just after one null, then he got a gap to Chris. Chris looked back and just, he didn't really sped up, I think he just kept going in that part and, and Peter got tired and uh, yeah, that gap just kept on growing all the way to the finish line. We thought in the beginning that maybe Petri could come back or something, but uh, you know, the distance was just uh, growing really fast. Anything that you spotted there? Anything out of ordinary, perhaps? Uh, no, I just saw that um, <coughs> Eliasen was uh, dropping uh, Chris, and uh, but still the chasing group wasn't picking any time on Eliasen. Uh, it was really slow pace. Um, uh, I, I saw that Max made a move to try to do something uh, just where I was, and I just told him, just wait for the last 10 kilometers. There, you're three minutes behind. It's no, no ID. So, um, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I saw on Chris. It was so, it was so easy when he skied today. It was fast and easy, and. Uh, he was in that zone. As he they was say. in the zone, yes. And he looked like that the whole race. Mm. Same with Astrid. Same oh. with Astrid. And like Lena looked last weekend, and like Astrid looked in uh, La Velosta, like they're mm. in that very zone. And then we see distance with minutes to the next one. It's so easy when it, they are in the zone. Everything, if you talk to them now after the race, everything was perfect. Nothing was, oh, okay, I can't do like it. Was, they. I don't even know if they are tired. Yeah. <laughs> you are tired, but you still don't feel it. Mm. All our athletes, uh, 
admitted or said yesterday that the last 10K is kind of decisive. And that was pretty much where we saw the, the main action taking place. Mm -hmm. Let's go back there, particularly in the men's race. In the women's race, it was pretty clear cut. Yeah, all of a sudden, we really saw the gap being closer and closer from Eliasen to the chasing group. And then we got them on camera and we saw it was Ari Lussoa, it was Toras uh, Lejardon uh, was there, and, uh, and Stian Hulgard as well, who was pushing pushing very hard and breaking up the field and uh, closing the gap to Eliasen. Uh, so they catched Eliasen, but then we also had more skiers coming from behind, making it a bigger group for the last seven or eight kilometers. And Yedal, and once again, knew how to take it. Yeah, he knows this finish, he, but uh, he, he didn't do it like he used to be, but uh, he looked really strong, and I think he was one of the best in the last... Uh, he, of course, he was second, but uh, he looked really good. Were you surprised by the uh, Semyakin in Russian winter teams, skiers, third place? Uh, I don't know if I'm surprised with the Russian ski marathon team. They are really good skiers, but um, I don't really know these guys uh, by the names. So, but uh, it's really good to have have them on the podium again. That's probably the biggest change from lab previous yeah. years. Russian skiers and Russian winter team is so strong. Yeah, it's good to have Russians, of course. But yeah. Uh, it's fun. It m makes the, s the races more interesting. Also, they are not afraid to, to be offensive. So it's I interesting. And of course, myself coming from Finland, Ari Luso is our, yeah. our superstar, so yeah. to speak. But he's so close. Uh, you know, what should he do to be in a podium? Again, he tried. I mean, you mentioned he was really active. It looked like for a while that Ari is going to go for it. He's always there, a few seconds behind. Yeah. Seventh today. Your advice to Ari? So we can get a finished winner. We've been waiting for it. Yeah, but I think um, it's hard to say, you know. But it looked like he didn't have that 100% plan that he followed. He was really good. He was strong. And um, he was making too many moves. Uh, so tactics, maybe. He, need, he needs to pay attention to that. No, just this in this finish, you have to be... You have to have a plan before uh, where to go uh, if of course he was he was there he was in the but he made a lot of moves throughout the race also he was offensive and I don't know it's good to see it's uh, it's a good skier so that's uh, a skier you want to for his sake to be on the podium <laughs> once in a while but uh, yeah it will come and another one who could benefit f uh, from your uh, advice or tips mm. is Dian Helgard. I mean, he's been on the podium, but still hasn't won a race. No, the number three guy. He's exactly. No. Uh, help him out. Tell him what to do. No. No, I can't help him, but he's extremely good. You know, he's been on the podium, I don't know how many times, but... Uh, and yeah. he has the yellow bib now. Yeah, he has yeah. the yellow bib, and it's... It will change overnight. Maybe just this thing with mentally, he has the yellow bib, he's a winner, he's a champ. And then next race, maybe he will win, finally. And I also think it's a little bit like we talked before, that uh, 
that you have one chance. You, you need to have your tactics, and then you have one chance, and then you need to go all out mm. on that attempt. There's so many good skiers, especially this last one kilometer. You can choose one thing to do, and then you can play all your cards. Yeah. And in the women's race, of course, we didn't have the same kind of finish. We had uh, Astrid, of, of course, first, and then Kari Bikagni-Yetnest yeah. a few minutes behind, and then Karina Smutna once again on a podium. She's always been on a podium here. And then tight fight after those skiers with Prita and, and... A lot of things happened the last 10 kilometers in that race from yeah, third to 10th place. And uh, yeah, the finish there by Britta and... Uh, Ida was close too. Ida was close too. She was just 37 seconds from the podium today. So, uh, yeah, it's cool with the ladies. We will actually take a look at the standings next. Standings, Eric, you have them in front of you. Yes, so after Ladia Gonela today, we have a new skier in the Hertz Champion bib. Stian Hulgard takes over the yellow bib, 585 points. Followed by Emil Persson, uh, Lager 157 ski team, who didn't race today, 559. In third place, Morten Ede Pedersen, team Café Bryggeriet, 553. And it's just one point behind that is Marcus Johansson, Lager 157 ski team, 552 points. So, Kusta, when you're looking at this, it's a really tight fight. What's your sort of prediction for the races to come? What's going to happen? Hmm. Uh, of course, I hope that Max will do a podium soon. He, is have, he really have the capacity and he's there all the time. So. Uh, but for the top three, you know, you have to... It's really fun. It's extremely tight this year. Um, but uh, now it will come two races uh, that I think will sort it out a little bit, maybe for three or four skiers. So you think it won't be as tight as it is right now after Machalonga and Toplakotina? No, I don't think so, but then maybe it will change when we come up to, to the Scandinavian Tour also. So yeah, we have these races in the end that make, can make a twist in the, this list. So. This year has been pretty amazing in terms of the, the new, new faces, new winners. We have had sort of a surprise winner every time. We haven't had the, as I always call them, the usual suspects, the, mm. the team Rakte guys, Pritta, winning every race. Mm. That trend could continue, mm. but we'll see. Women? Yes, in the Women's Hurts Champion Bib, we have now leading Astrid Öyreslin, Team Koteng, 775 points, followed by Britta johansson Nogen, Lager 157 Ski Team, only five points behind, so it's really, really tight there. Third place, uh, Kari Vikagen-Jeitnes, Team Koteng, 675 points. And in fourth place, Katarina Smutna, Ed Sistenbauer Team, 660 points. So tight there between first and second, and third and fourth. And then Emilia Flett and then Lina, uh, your, your wife, is sixth. Do you think that your skiers, they still have a chance, particularly Lina? She wasn't here today, she was six, so didn't get any points. No, uh, and it's hard to, to be in the top three if you miss a race, but it never happens with the other girls also. It's, you have to be 
fair with that, but uh, for Lena, it's just bonus to be in the, that list. So she wants to do races and win races or be on the podium. The total overall is bonus. So she's putting her focus on individual races yeah. and try, trying yeah. to win those ones. Yeah. What about Ida? Uh, youth, of course, but overall. Youth. No, just make good races uh, standing on the starting line. If you do that, you have the opportunity. So um, the most important thing today in that list is that uh, Britta is not leading. I think I don't know how many years that was, she wasn't wearing the yellow bib. Yeah, many years Yeah. Ago. So it's a big day for, uh, for, yeah, for, <laughs> for Astrid. The world is changing. Yeah. Then let's move on to the youth categories. We talked about youth. Ida, of course. But yes. Men first. First, the men we have still leading is uh, Emil Persson, Lager 157 ski team, 559 points ahead of Team Ramudden, Max Novak at 401. And then in third place, Alexander Grebenko from Russian Winter Team, 366 points behind. So still quite a big lead for Emil Persson, even though he was sicker today. And what's interesting about these young skiers is that all of them are potential podium skiers and winners, and Emil Persson <laughs> is already a two-time winner. That's quite an unheard of as well. Young skiers doing so well that they can be on the podium. Yeah, when Emil won the Livigno race, I think it meant a lot for the, uh, for the young skiers. Uh, for Johannes and for Max in our team, that they mentally saw that this is possible. A Swedish guy and a youth guy. So um, he, make a, he made a big breakthrough for ma many people, I think. That's good. I mean, the Swedish, you mentioned Swedish guy, um, Emil's victory. Mm. You guys waited for it in terms of coming from Sweden. You guys waited for it, waited for it for a long time. How much did it kind of open up in Sweden, like kind of relieve the, relieve the pressure? Uh, it's hard to say, but uh, you know it can change its sport. So maybe soon it will be only Norwegians in the top uh, again. <laughs> but uh, it's, I think it was kind of kind of relief for for a lot of skiers, uh, athletes that uh, we can win also. So yeah, it was. I think it was, was great. Probably paved the way for Mac Max as well, you know, that I yeah. can do that. And as for if, if Emil can, I can do it as well. Yeah, and for the Lager 157 team, they have performed really well with yeah, that race and after that also. So it really gives a good spirit to, to a lot of things. And then youth women? Yes, leading, as we know, Ida Dahl, Team Ramudden, 474 points, ahead of Thea Krokanmurud from Team Ragde Eindom, 460 points, so only 14 points behind there. Third place, Anastasia Rigalina, Russian Winter Team, 388 points. And in fourth place, Jenny Larsson, Team Ramudden, 340. Anything you want to say about this? Of course, Ida is a good, good lead there, but it will be a tough. I mean, Thea did really good. Thea Grukamuru did yeah, as well. Yeah, and uh, Rigalina also, and I know that Jenny Larsson will come back and uh, be really strong. So, you see, there are yeah, like four girls that are, they will be really tight between them. Sprint men and women? 
Stenberg, Team Kaffebryggeriet, still in the lead, 154 points ahead of Max Novak. Team Ramuden, 135 points. Third place, Oscar Cardin, Team Ragde Eindom, 132, so still tight there. And in fourth place, there's a bigger gap to Alexei Dvoskin, Russian Winter Team, and Alexander Pashinsky, Team Robinson Trentino. So Stian Berg, he has said, you know, that that's what he's, he's going for, mm. the sprint. But Max is second, and you mentioned earlier that it's good if they get points, but that's not really your main goal, or is it, to have points from these? No, points, of course, but to win these categories. I, I know that Max is... Uh, he really wants to, to make some points on the, on the sprints and uh, see what's happened, you know. There can be a race when... Stian is off or Max is off and it will change really fast. So it gives some motivation, I think, to be in the top there. And you have to defend. If you have put yourself in that seat that you're in the top in the sprint, then you have to defend the position, I think. Sprint women? Still leading, Britta Johansson-Norgren, Lager 157 ski team, 105 points. And then in second place, Astrid Öyreslin, Team Koteng, 91 points. So it's only 14, uh, 14 points between them. Third place, Lina Korsgren, Team Ramunden, 72 points. And Ida Dahl in fourth place, Team Ramunden, 37 points. And moving on to the climb competition. Climb competition is the same then as after Seafeld. Uh, so not much has happened there, or nothing has happened, but we still have Martin Eide Pedersen leading, Team Kaffebryggeriet 164, Andreas Holmberg, Lager 157 ski team 118, and Chris André Jespersen, Team Koteng 69 points, third place. And in the women's climb competition, we have leader Astrid Öreslind, Team Koteng 114 points, second Britta Johansson, Norgren, Lager 157 ski team 95 points, and in third place, Emilie Fleten, team Ragde Eindom, 52 points. And the pro team competition. This is an exciting one. Yes, this one is really tight now. It's still led by Lager 157 ski team, 840 points, but only 10 points behind now is team Koteng at 830. Team Ragde Eindom coming in at third at 730 points, so 110 points behind. What about this one? When you look at it, you look, of course, looking at your team and realizing, oh, there's still a little bit climbing up to do, but you pretty well placed there. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fun to, to look at the, this chart. Um, we're in the fourth position now to, together with Russians. Uh, you know, the biggest thing, is, you know, this gives a little motivation to the athletes in the team also. Last weekend when we was uh, before Ragde Eindom, it was quite good. It felt really good uh, for the athletes also to to be for to be in front of a, such a good and extremely uh, ex oh, excellent team. When this season started out, did you expect to be this high up? Come January? Uh, I've actually, with, um, with, with us having a lot of youngsters, and if they just make 
decent result. We got uh, we get a lot of points, so that's good for us. Uh, but uh, in the end, if you look down behind us, uh, uh, it's really good teams that we are uh, in front of. So um, yeah, it's really fun. Um, Excited. We were six last year, so that was extremely good. But now we're just—I I can't say that we're chasing the podium in any way, in and how. But uh, still, yeah, we're there, so it's fun. Within the reach, Eric, you still have the Visma Alp Trophy results. Yes. So Latagonela is the fourth out of six competitions in the Visma Alp Trophy, and on the men's side, it's led by uh, Stian Holgard, Team Kuteng, 495 points, just 10 points ahead of Tord Asliardalen, Team Ragdaiendom, and in third place, Marcus Johansson, Lager 157 Ski Team, 475 points. And on the women's side, it's led by Astrid Öreslin, Team Kuteng, 680 points. Just 10 points ahead of Britta Johansson-Norgren, Lager 157, Ski Team. And in third place, Kari Vikagen-Gatenes, Team Kuteng, at 575 points. But there we still have um, two more races to go, Marcia Longa and Tobla Cortina, before we get the final standings. So we have pretty much analyzed uh, today's race, the standings, everything. It was really a great day today. And we're moving on. We have a couple other things in our sleeves, so stick around. Eric, I see that you just pulled out our um, web shop. Tell us about it. Yes, so we have the Visma Ski Classics merchandise shop. So you go to vismaskiclassics.com, find the shop button up in the top right corner, and here you can find lots of good stuff to order. You can find a baseball cap, you can find a really warm, nice hat that we've seen in the TV pictures of people wearing. You can buy, of course, the pro skiing magazine. There is race suit, there's warm-up clothes, skiing pants, vests, and uh, of course, hats and uh, buffs. So lots of good things to find there and, uh, and to be branded with Visma Ski Classics. So we definitely urge you go there and, and buy some stuff. And of course, we have other lots of cool things that you can uh, check into our my pages, uh, content, our website, and so forth. But the next race soon, we're going to talk about that much longer. Much longer. That is the next in our calendar. It is a legendary race. We always say legendary, magical, much longer. But there is something about that race. Kostov, you've been there so many times, and every time you go there, isn't it quite amazing? Yeah, it's the cross-country skiing, the long-distance rock and roll race. <laughs> That's a, that was a really good description. Yeah, I like that one. Is. Why so? Why rock and roll? Uh, so much energy in that valley throughout that weekend. Um, and the, the track, uh, the tight track through the villages, uh, through the bear tents and uh, high speed, the 70 kilometers um, and this uh, uphill finish. And of course, the history with the old the years with the Marcia Longa, it's mis myth race. So yeah, it's really prestigious race. And it's amazing how they can always pull it off, you know, that they don't have snow and they make the, they just, the man-made snow usually, the whole course, not always, but almost every time. Yeah, it's uh, extremely cool that they can make, make artificial snow in that volume to, and 
the logistic to put out the snow in 70 kilometers. Uh, this cooperation in that valley is fantastic. And of course, the Cascada Hill, that is a train, trademark of, of the race, or landmark, pretty much everybody always talks about it. Of course, the atmosphere, the villages and all that, but the final climb. Uh, yeah, uh, for the <coughs> TV audience and uh, for us as coaches, we can do it so much when they're in the uphill, but to just enjoy this race up the, that hill and come into the up to towards the finish line it's i, I think it's um, the coolest uh, finish in all the races it is indeed really yeah. cool and this year this edition next week will have peter nortuk returning and dario colonia mm. so what are you expecting from those two guys particularly dario yeah. he has said that he wants to win if possible uh, yes, of course, uh, you want to win the Marcelonga, so I Everybody hope he wants, wants to, win to win it, it but uh, yeah, from Petra I don't expect anything, that uh, hopefully he will make it to the finish line, but uh, for Darius, uh, I will be up there and uh, maybe he will be in the front group, but uh, I don't see him as a winner. Who are your favorites? Uh, it's hard to say, you know, you have to look at... A lot of things can happen, you know. Uh, always, every year, it's a new surprise up that hill. But uh, uh, look at the history book or the results the last years, and you see which which ones who year after year are going fast up that hill, and they are the favorites. And uh, yeah, Dalen is of course. He did really well today, and yeah. he he's a, he has often been named or called Mr. Machalonga. Yeah, but uh, last year's performance from Petter was extremely yeah, beautiful to see so yeah we'll see what's happened this year what about lena you said that she really wants to win she's yeah. been sick but do you think she's really ready next weekend i will see uh, like i said it's a 50 50 chance to to be there and perform but um, she's been uh, two years ago she was fast up that hill last year she was like one second behind I don't know if it was Astrid or Britta, so she's fast up that hill. The key part is for the ladies is when the men are reaching the, the ladies and it kind of explodes after that. And it's so high speed that you really have to be behind men to, to make gaps. Or, so so um, it doesn't matter how fast you are the last hill if you don't have made the a good, really good valley for the ladies. So. so, Eric, if you were to name or pick up three things that could really describe Machalonga, what would those be? First, I would say is the atmosphere. You see, the party and the festivities that is going on is is really unique. Just coming up to the finish area, and there is uh, glee wine and music, and it's, it's a really fantastic uh, atmosphere. Um, the track itself, as we talked about, 70 kilometers of artificial snow is really unique. And you're skiing through all these small villages um, along the valley. And, uh, and third, I would say the, the history of the, of the race. It's been one of the biggest races for many, many years. And if you ask the athletes, I'd say it's one of their very most wanted races uh, to win. So, Gustav, you said that this is uh, the much longer is the rock and roll of, of, of our our tour, but is that your favorite race? Uh, yes, 
It's my first race. Really? Even yeah. more than Vasa Lopez? Usually, you, you, you're from Sweden. You're supposed to say Vasa Lopez, the uh, greatest race. Yeah, Vasa Lopez is the greatest race. It is the biggest race to win, and it can change your life. But uh, my Salonga is my favorite. Good. Yeah. What about you, Eric? You've seen all the races. Yes, I think uh, I think Idles Levy has really come up to like a favorite race. It's like a surprising race, and it's a really it's a course that has it all, and it's a race that is growing. It doesn't have the history as Vasa uh, Lopet or Marcelonga and so on, but it's it's a race that I really enjoy watching. And then, very briefly before we wrap up, Gustav. Much along is next, but what after that? What are your sort of expectations towards the end of the season? Still many races left, and of course, the Scandinavian part of things. Uh, yeah, this uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, Jeserska. Uh, of course, uh, with a good history there with Lina last year, but also uh, with Max, who really have the set the goal for going doing well in 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 uh, his almost second home country Czech Republic um so but um, then after that it just home uh find a shape and then it's was a loppet and then we round up with race loppet and illeslev of course birkebeiner also so um it's a <coughs> Pretty intense period now in January, February. Then it slows down and uh, make it like it becomes more serious or more. Yeah, you feel it in the stomach towards Oslo, and then it's after that it's more like yeah, we round up, but still it's races we want to do as good as possible. So next Sunday is much longer. But how are you guys going to your team? How are you going to spend there? time in, in between i was still uh, on the high altitude until wednesday or thursday we haven't decided yet so we're still in this valley and enjoy the sun and uh, <coughs> skiing and uh, then we go down to moena uh, and uh, yeah uh, to feel the atmosphere and uh, suck it in and then just to uh, get motivated to perform on sunday and any more victories for your team this season? Uh, you never know. No, we are working for that, of course. Uh, uh, but uh, you, you should be happy when the athletes are on the starting line and they can have the opportunity to perform. So uh, what happens after that, it's, uh, it's fun, of course, if they win. But. Winning is always fun. Thank you very much for being here, being with us, talking to us, Gustav. Thank you, Eric, for your really good thoughts. Thank you, all of you out there listening to us. And remember, you can send us those valuable, great questions that you have. And the address, once again, is podcast at skiclassics.com. And, of course, we are available on all platforms digital platforms so wherever you are you can always listen to us and eric can you actually pull out the start times for Marchalonga because that is an important information of course for all our skiers that race is next sunday cavalese from moana to cavalese and the exact starting times are 7:50 for the women and eight for the men see it there you go thank you very much thank you and see you next 
week. 